This podcast contains discussion about adult topics. Use your judgment if there are little ears around. Hello and welcome to Doing It. This is a podcast made by the Family Planning Victoria Schools and Community Team. My name is Anne. I'm part of the team and we go to schools and run classes for all year levels on bodies, babies, growing up, puberty, sex, reproduction, relationships. This is a podcast for parents and carers of school-aged children so that we can share what goes on in a relationships and sexuality education class and help support these sorts of conversations at home. We call the podcast Doing It because it's something that young people often ask, as in how to do it, how to have sex, and it's something that grown-ups often ask, as in how to do it, how to have these conversations with young people. Today I'm talking with Fiona Katauskas. Fiona is an author and illustrator. She's the artist behind the amazing true story of how babies are made. This has been a very popular book for parents and carers wanting some help explaining this story. The content of the book is described in the title. It really is the amazing true story of how babies are made. Not only does it explain in a child-friendly way the most usual way a sperm and egg join, it's also very inclusive of all types of families and different ways babies can be made and born. It's also really funny. It's now available as an animated series and there's also extra resources available for families and a toolkit for teachers. Family Planning Victoria have endorsed these resources because we think this is essential learning for children and the more quality resources that parents, carers and teachers have available to use, the better. I'm going to talk with Fiona and ask her about why she decided to write the amazing true story of how babies are made. Okay, so Mm -hmm. recording. Mm -hmm. Um, Fiona, thank you so much for talking to me today. Thank you for having me. It's very exciting. The author of The Amazing True Story of How Babies Are Made. Yes, that's right. So we're going to talk a bit about that. But could you just to start explain a little bit about your work outside of that book? Oh, yes. I am a most, uh, I'm a freelance cartoonist, um, most of my job. So yes, I I usually have my head stuck in politics and political cartoons. So it was very nice deviation to go into, you know, a much less cynical and more positive world of, uh, you know, sexuality education. Human, so that was human reproduction. Human sexuality. reproduction, yes. Something what everyone could, needs. What could be more optimistic <laughs> than to, you know, deliver a new life into the world? So yeah. yeah. Um, on the website for the animated series you talk about the story of your son wanting to know where babies come from and this led to you writing the book when you went to look for books what did you find well the most surprising thing was that there just weren't really many books at all I I had expected um, because my son was about older son Max was about five when he um, first asked how babies are made and I sort of I felt quite comfortable talking about it and I tried to explain it you know just and you realise very quickly you need a book just for pictures and also for a narrative as well because mm. it's sort of situ- the story of of how babies are made all fits in with puberty and it's there's a, there's a sort of whole narrative to it. So I went up to a large children's bookshop and thought that there'd just be a whole shelf of stuff and there was a really complicated, wordy book with little illustrations um, and then there was Where Did I Come From? from 1973, I think it, it is. And um, that was the same... So I had this bizarre experience of reading to my son the same book that my mother read to me. So, yes, it was a bit of a... Uh, 
So, and, and where did I come from is delightful and it's a very, and I think one yeah. of the reasons it's had such staying power is because it's funny and it's engaging, but it is very outdated. In, mm. and it's a bit nostalgic for parents now. Yeah, they yeah. say, go, oh, I had that and yeah, therefore, yeah. yeah. But, yeah, it is a bit and there's, yeah, it's, it's a bit um, outdated and also it just doesn't, there's a whole, um, you know, uh, human reproduction has changed a lot since 1973. Uh, it has. It's yeah. not just natural conception anymore. We have IVF, you know, and the various sperm and egg donations and um, other assisted reproduction. Um, so that is something that um, is a whole new way of explaining a whole new way of uh, making babies that it, we didn't have back families then. as well yes yeah, yeah. Uh, were you surprised when your son asked no I was expecting it um and I was kind of like it is a bit daunting because I think when you ask that question or when parents ask that question often they think that their children because that's the first the first exposure to sort of this conversation about sex that kids have is when they're asking how babies are made so a lot of parents sort of freak out and they think my kids asking about sex and sexuality and that whole Pandora's box and their whole history and experience goes rushing through their mind whereas their kid is asking how babies are made and there's a whole that's just not just about sex that's about Oh, well, sex is obviously you know, an important <laughs> part of it. But, or, well, it's not or about IVF. every, yeah, every experience of their grown-up. Yeah, yeah. And also they're not seeing it with the art. They're not thinking of it with the experiences of an adult. They're asking completely fresh. And often they're not that interested in the – especially the younger they are. It's interesting. The way less interested they are in the actual sex bit. They kind of go, he puts what in where? Oh, well, that's kind of weird. Oh, well, and then what happens? You know, and they're not – so, yeah, I wasn't surprised, but I – um, when he asked, but yes, it is a an interesting challenge for a parent, I think. Absolutely, and a memorable challenge yeah. maybe as well. Did writing the book make you reflect on the type of sex ed you received in school? Yeah, well, um, it did too because like I suppose um, Where Did I Come From was in my mind because that was – my mum read that to me and then in year three and four – we saw an animation of Where Did I Come From? <laughs> at, at school? At school, yeah. yeah, yeah. It was like a no Tuesday evening and all the parents came up with the kids. And then in fifth and sixth grade, we must have been sixth grade probably, we saw then the animation of the follow-on book from that, which is What's Happening to Me, which is a puberty book. So, yeah, that was – so, yeah, but um, my, my – Parents were pretty oh, – actually, parents. I think my dad was probably too embarrassed and didn't talk about it. But my mum, I never got it. I don't remember specifically being told, but I don't remember it being something that I was embarrassed or uncomfortable about either. So I, I, I think that's probably an ideal way to be told about it if, you, if it's not traumatising in any way and you've just learnt <laughs> something and moved on. Yeah, and just something you've always known. That's, yes. That's ideal. Uh, have you received endorsement from your children? Um, <laughs> That's such a funny girl. Now they are yeah, – they – well, when – because it's it, – the book has been out for over four and a half years now, plus, it, you know, it was a, a year and a half I was writing it before it got published. So they were a lot younger. And I did run some of the pictures past them, you know, things I found funny, I'd run them past them. But um, – I, I definitely don't have an endorsement from them now because the most embarrassing thing you can do 
for a t- for teenage oh, I've got sons they're 14 and 16 um but I assume for teenage girls as parents of teenage girls one of the most embarrassing things a parent can do is write a sex ed book and so yeah my part well done <laughs> you know I feel like I've done world champion trolling of teenagers and my partner sometimes he says to the kids just to stir them up he says oh you know your mum's a sex bird and they go ah hold there is and so yes it is I, I am getting quite a lot of delight out of traumatizing my right. teenagers so over maybe it. endorsement is too strong a word yeah they, they are kind of like they are sort of they really like the animation it was funny because the book they're super embarrassed by but the animation they were really keen to see and they went oh yeah that's actually pretty good mum so yeah they they did they and they laughed a lot at the animation so they were they were they knew they were years beyond it but they were still you know they were still keen to see it and they really enjoyed it so awesome. that was good Um, In the book and the animated series, you've used humour, as you've mentioned, with some things that are embarrassing to say out loud. Why was that important? And is there anything that still cracks you up every time you see it? Yes. Well, I think think humour, I mean, and also I think this is from my background as a political cartoonist as well. And I'm a freelance cartoonist. I also do medical cartoons and all sorts of, like, jobs that come along that I so, you know... Part of cartooning, the essence of it is to process ideas, to process information and present it in a way, sometimes political ones are more, you know, a sock in the punch to the guts kind of ones than funny. But, you know, ideally cartoons are funny. And I think that's a really good way to engage people's brains. Like when they make the connection between image and text or, or what the metaphor is about or what the reference is to, it sticks in their brain in a way that, you know, it's... it's I've, a good way to learn things or to convey a message so I guess that's my natural inclination and my skills any my skill set anyway and the way I approach things so yes I think I was always going to I was wanted to take a humorous approach plus it is a really embarrassing thing and that is a real deflection like I think if you can have a laugh about something and take the pressure off okay we're having this serious thing um, and we're sitting down and talking about something really serious and embarrassing if you can laugh about it that that diffuses it and plus on top of it I think how one thing that writing the book and doing the animation really made me think about was how absolutely incredible um human conception is it's just incredibly cool and our bodies are cool and amazing so I wanted to give it that sense of joy as well like this is just I don't know and this was so yes from the book I still laugh out loud and it was uh, about puberty and pubic hair and there's a scene because I you know when you're, when you're drawing these things and you've got to think of all these scenarios with people in the nude to show so I've, it's a like a row of showers like at the beach and there's three men all in the same pose whistling and washing under their armpits and one um, is a Caucasian man one um, is a African uh, man and one is a clown and the clown has sort of coloured hair and coloured rainbow hair and rainbow pubes and um, Mm -hmm. that was one of the first illustrations I thought of and so when I sent it off to publishers I included just some rough illustrations and all the publishers who were interested in the book said that was what sold them they just made them laugh out loud to see that and And that's a clip we play in class a little bit just to introduce puberty just a a small clip from the animated Mm -hmm. series and kids laugh at it every time and they point it out oh one of those guys is a clown and it's so great because it's well this is what I think also the kids kids can sit in a room together like I think also when if the animation is used in a in a school or in an environment where there's lots of kids together they often 
you know, know, and I've seen it used in a school environment where kids come in and they know they're giving, getting a sex ed class and some of them are a bit sort of naughty and, you know, thinking, oh, they're all a bit embarrassed, so they're all being a bit... But if you can have them engaged and watching something and laughing together, then they can t feel comfortable out talking about it with their teacher or with their parents or with the other students without it. Like, And it, it's not... I think also humour not in a... I was very careful. I never wanted the humour in either the animation or the book to be, tee-hee, this is rude and we're embarrassed. Like, that was when mm. I worked with the animators. I said, we're not having any sort of... No jokes here that are winked to the audience like, this is a bit embarrassing because we are never mm. embarrassed. This is just cool. This is yeah. fun and we can laugh about things. But we're never... The joke is never with a bit of a... You know, this is... The punchline is never sort of a bit... We're a bit embarrassed about this. So I think if you can open it up and have it as something that can be relaxing because also if you know parents can get tense about this stuff and mm. if it can be fun and relaxing and especially I guess an animation too you can sit back and watch it together if, a, if parents are embarrassed about sitting with the book an animation you know you're sitting there and, and watching together as a family and you can talk about it in that way and it can just be a bit of an icebreaker as well mm, absolutely another funny moment which mm. I will mention mm. is the um, scrotum and the testicles oh, lying in yes. the hammock and oh. then jumping out and walking along the red carpet kids oh, love it that is I am so thrilled to hear that because this was one of the... I had so much fun working on the, the animation with the animators because we had the script and it said, uh, little boys' testicles don't do much except hang around, but they can become much important later on. And much, so we're thinking, how could you do... What, what are we going to do for that? And then we sort of had the idea of coming up with this little character that was a pair of testicles just... And, and first we said, this is so stupid, this is hilarious. And then when we... And, yeah, and then when he says it becomes much more important later on, we were saying, oh, what, like, a v, v, he's a, not a VIP, yeah. VIT, very important testicles. Then we were just laughing, going, very covered. Then we just went, why not? Let's just do this. So that was such a fun thing to do. So I am so thrilled that that is something that kids like because that is something that was just hilarious and delightful and lots and lots of laughs to do with the animators. So that's, yeah, yeah, I love that bit too. And also one thing that we all loved as well in the beginning when in, uh, one of the, in the first bit of the animation where they're talking about girl babies and boy babies are different and these two babies are lying side by side and they start wailing and sort of spinning their legs around and the little boy baby's penis sort of starts almost mm, sort of spinning around like a, a windmill and yeah. for some, <laughs> when the animator showed me that I just could not stop laughing I went I love it and we always get a good response for some reason it's just it's silly and it's just funny and it's yeah. a bit ice breaky in the beginning yeah. too because you go yeah this is genitals we can call them what we can call them what they're called and not be embarrassed about it like yeah so um oh um, yep yeah. yep oh, <laughs> it was a lot of fun to do I'm very glad that awesome. people enjoy watching it uh what sort of response have you had to the book and to the animation Fantastic. I've had, well, the, um, I've been super lucky with the book. The book has, um, well, got, when it came out, it got shortlisted for a Children's Book Council Award, and which is like as a children's book author, especially with something a bit con like sex education can be contentious. And that is a very mainstream kind of uh, award. So that was fantastic to get that stamp of approval from them that was just wonderful and a huge mm. surprise and I was also shortlisted for the Australian Book Industry Awards for the children's section that year as well which was fantastic as well because I was up against you know the treehouse whatever the you know the yeah, latest treehouse and other things so to have a book that was non-fiction sex education in that category was super thrilling as well and then yes I've just had yeah it's sold really really well um I've just had a fantastic response. I yeah, get quite a lot of feedback and the best feedback that I've had a lot of that is my best reviews ever is uh, are my best reviews ever is when parents have 
said to me that it's their kids' favourite bedtime story. So it's not just like, you know, the, you know, he'll shove this book towards you, have a flick through it, and we'll, it, sh- it shall never be spoken of again, or we read it once, but that kids want to read it over and over again. And think, so, because it is a story, it's a narrative. Mm. And so that's, yeah, that's been fantastic. Mm. And, and yeah, the response to the animation has been really positive as well. And it was just, I don't know, I've just, from a personal perspective, it was just such an extremely delightful experience to work on as well and so much fun. So it's, I'm, I'm really proud of the way the animations worked out. Mm. Um, children recognise the style as well. They bring up a little clip from the animation series mm. and they'll say, I've got this book at home, I know all about this, and they're really proud that they know the whole story. Well, that was, that, that was a, such a beautiful thing that the animators were really consciously wanting to make my the animation look like my look hand-drawn look and that I had a crash well I wasn't animating it myself but I said oh isn't the fact that it's hand-drawn that you know doesn't it make it sort of easy because it's not really complicated they said oh no (laughs) it's actually much harder when it's hand-drawn because you've got to do more frames and sort of hand draw them yourself but they just they captured that watercolory feel and Mm. the the whole um, illustration style yeah I feel like the animation could not be they couldn't have done a better job adapting the book in that form mm. and they've really and they've used a lot of like most of the book is in the animation but we had to do because you know you still have to do extra animation to fill the time and things like that so there's a lot of extra stuff but they've still kept pretty much everything from the book in it too. What's your wish for this as a resource for parents and carers and teachers now that they can access a book animation lesson plans how do you like what's your perfect way of using all those resources? Um, I'd love it if uh, yeah, I'd love for schools to. Cause one thing when we, I'd, I'd love for schools to use it, and we did design it. And the uh, CJZ, the television company who made it, um, had some educational experts in to prepare school resources and lesson plans and things like that, and looked at the curriculum. So it's got a pretty comprehensive uh, resource stuff as well. And I think I'd love to see. My dream is for teachers to be able to see this resource and go, you know what, this is a subject I hate teaching and I feel nervous about it, but this resource has made it really easy. It's given me question and answer thing, you know, a whole lot of extra information. It's fun to watch. It's, you know, that teachers don't sit there Mm. sweating bullets while this is on and and that they feel comfortable and that the class enjoys it and, you know, that they can use that resource together. And I think, so that that is my, because... My main focus sort of in both the book and, and the animation, I'm really aware that this is a difficult conversation to have for a lot mm. of people. And if I can make that easier and fun and, and also because I just think the whole story is if all kids have to know it and it's really cool and amazing. And if we can do it in an inclusive way where because also now um, I don't know what the statistics for the last couple of years were, but I think the last one in 2016, I think one in 24 children born in mm. Australia were IVF. So statistically yep. so there's one in kids every in every class mm. and I'd love for kids who come from and also who come from different families or different kinds of uh, yeah different kinds of families to be able to sit in a class together and to watch that and to feel like oh I see myself somewhere in there and that was that that yeah and same for parents I'd love my you know dream is for everyone to feel a lot more comfortable about talking about this and to realize you know let's focus on the positives because it's really cool and mm. if we can be if we can see take take the serious stuff with a light heart and have it to open conversations 
I think that's really good. And I think today, a lot of parents, I understand if they feel nervous about talking about this stuff, but ultimately they're not doing their children any favours if, if they don't. I know it's really hard. People feel awkward mm. about it. But kids nowadays are very computer savvy. Sex is one of the easiest words to spell. And if they type that into Google, which would be really easy to do, then um, they're not going to come up with really um, age-appropriate age se sexuality education. They're going to come up. So I just think one, if you can start that conversation early... Mm. It seems, and from what a lot of studies in Europe and stuff have shown, that if you start it early, and also I've seen with the book and the animation for children, if they see it when they're young, they're not that embarrassed. Like, that's mm. like the older they get, the more embarrassed. They really take that information mm. on. And also they learn at the level that they can absorb. So stuff that's too hard for them, they, it just sort of goes over their head. Human children's brains are, are fascinating and they're a lot better at adapting to sort of information, I think, than mm. we give them credit for. It goes back to what you were saying earlier about having never not known. Like mm. you don't remember not knowing yeah. this stuff. It's just how humans work. Yeah. So it's absolutely fine to introduce this as a subject or a topic or something you discuss from when they're born. Mm. And, yeah, and if, if, again, if children feel that it's taboo and that that's something they can't talk about with their parents or... A, a carer or any or some adult in their life then that they're going to turn elsewhere for information and that's not mm. you know yeah I, I am totally cognizant of the fact that it is difficult for a lot of parents to talk about but yeah my dream my ideal world is that people feel comfortable talking about this and can start the conversation early with their kids yep. or children in their life or you know their yep. students or and whatever. And the book's a great tool to do mm. that. Now that your children know mm. I assume how babies are made. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, is their sex ed complete and what else do you think they'll no. want to know? No, I don't up? think so. Yeah, uh, I don't think sex education is ever really complete. Also for adults as well. It's a, how we deal with, well, for teenagers too, that's a whole, because I guess the introduction to sex, uh, sex education for a lot of kids is procreation and as they get sort of to puberty then it's more about you know recreation as far as sex and sexuality is con concerned and there's a different level of information that they get and you know pornography is so prevalent it's there's you know exposure to that and it's a it's a whole shifting thing and it's about relationships as well it's about like sex education and sexuality education is also ideally about how you deal with relationships how you feel about your own body how you treat other people's bodies you know all this this stuff that is part of who we are and I think absolutely definitely all through high school the conversation keeps going although you know my kids aren't so keen to sit down as they were you know to to, to discuss it when they were little now so with the oh. mother who's an expert yeah, in the field yeah. <laughs> no that makes it even worse but they do get good I do think that from what I've seen of what they do in PDHPE, they do seem to talk a lot about healthy relationships and that kind of stuff mm. as well so I think I think it's an ongoing process and sex and sexuality are part of our lives to various degrees all through our lives or at least they're around in society and and if we can mm. have you know if we can learn to have good conversations about it just without it being a big deal and it mm. I mean, I having think that's that foundation, great. foundational language mm. to talk about it in yeah yeah it's really important to to be able to continue those yeah and I think I think also having the language too I think that's really important and from what I've read uh, of a lot of sexuality educators that they often they all talk about the importance of proper labeling as well and being able to mm. to know what things are called and and I think that's 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 really empowering and I interestingly I was contacted I've um, 
sold quite a few of my books, so that's not available in Spanish, but a, a Mexican sex educator who lives in, works in um, the slums in Mexico City has a friend here who got her a copy of the book and every year or so she gets sends over about 15 more books. But she contacted me and said for her working with really vulnerable girls in um, poor communities, she is a real advocate for sex education is empowerment for women and girls if they if they don't know what sex you know sex is and all that kind mm. of stuff and don't don't know to name the parts of their body and don't know to have that power over their own body then they're much more easily exploited and she is a mm. fervent believer in that and that is sort of her so she is all for you know even in quite a conservative area going no let's have it out here let's yeah, use this book and absolutely. let's talk about it straight so you yeah, have you have safe. the knowledge to do this stuff so it's the opposite of that when people think if they give the kids that knowledge they're exposing them to something and making them vulnerable it's sort of the opposite they're actually empowering you know especially young girls to mm. know what might be going on and know what is right and wrong and know that if something crosses those boundaries they can say oh mm. I know what's happening and this is not the right thing so yes yeah, it's, it's fascinating the whole thing is I'm such a it's, it's such a fascinating field I've become so in, fascinated and interested in the whole thing as well so I'm very pleased I've become sort of accidentally went down this path. <laughs> it's always interesting, always interesting. Uh, Fiona, thank you so much for talking oh, to me today. Thank you for talking to me. I could yes, talk and talk and we, talk. you know, continue to show the clips and encourage people to, to get the book and talk early and talk often. Mm, yeah, talk early, talk often, I think. And yeah. <laughs> okay, wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks so much to Fiona for talking today. And I just wanted to wrap up with some information about when to introduce conception as an idea for your young person. Family Planning Victoria would be starting to introduce conception in class from grade three and up. There's no reason why parents and carers shouldn't talk about conception earlier than this. We sometimes get asked by parents and carers if they should talk about conception and maybe introduce this book before anyone runs a class about this at school. Yes, go for it. Just like any other subject, students love it if they know all the answers already. The Amazing True Story of How Babies Are Made is available in bookshops and at Kmart. I'll link to an online bookstore in the episode notes. The animated series in three parts has its own webpage, amazingbabies.tv. I'll put a link in the episode notes as well. Uh, that's where to find the animations. There are extra family resources and a teacher toolkit also. Thanks so much for listening today. For more information about Family Planning Victoria, you can go to fpv.org.au. Contact us directly at doingit, doingit at fpv.org.au. You can follow FPV on Instagram, Facebook or Twitter. If you like the podcast, rate, review and subscribe so you don't miss out. Thanks very much for listening. Bye.